Welcome, folks, and let folks jump on. Hey, y'all. Thank God. What's today, Wednesday? It is Wednesday. Midweek. All right. Hello, everyone. This is Pinche Millennials Podcast, Pinche Participation. I'm Amanda Miguel. And I'm Nick Ochoa. We're two Latinx millennials sharing our take, our fresh, relevant millennial Latinx perspective on today's <laughs> politics and the state of things. Yeah, and we, we're doing this live series because, one, it's super fun. <laughs> we had lots of folks join yeah. us last week, and Nick and I really love the energy. We're going to stick with it, see how it goes. Um, but because also this news is changing ever so quickly, and there's a lot of questions and doubts, I don't know, spewing in the media. And from, yeah, there's a lot going on. Uh-huh. So this is just an opportunity for us to kind of just chat about it just let's all check in and see if there's any questions yeah um, we're trying to check in with our fellow audience members the listeners of supporters our friends and family and listeners otherwise and see what questions do you have what information do we want to share is there stuff we can clarify what up linda we got hey. some friends in florida yes <clears throat> florida <laughs> yeah, uh, shout us out. Put us on your Instagram story if you're that type of Instagram user. Yeah. Um, so share with anyone in your network who's interested in hearing what two brown Chicano Mexican American yeah. Latinx millennials yeah. think about the election. We have a lot of identifiers, and we will honor every single one. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I forgot LGBTQ plus. Yes. Just so and folks know. <laughs> another identifier, a pink hair wearing queer man. Yes, we stand. <laughs> we stand here. Thanks, boo. Yeah. <laughs> um, what up, Denver, Colorado? Woo woo. Hey, hey. Loving it. Loving it. As folks continue to join in, I know we had posed some questions. Yes, intersectionality, baby. Uh, we had posed some questions to our followers, um, and they had some questions. And so I just wrote them down here. And these are the four that we'll kind of be tackling during this conversation. But the first one is, what is going on? Why, you know, why is there, why is it necessary to concede power and a peaceful transition? And we'll talk about what that means. Because goodness, it sounds, it, one, just like to any random person, like, concede power, peaceful transition. Like, aren't these things that just naturally happen? So we'll discuss what that means. Uh, the second was folks really interested about why do we have the electoral college gerrymandering and what is needed to remove those pieces. Um, three, why do we count ballots after election day? And then four, why is Georgia light blue and not real blue? So we'll talk about all of those pieces. But um, again, thank you all for joining. Um, we have some news. What's the what's the big news, Nick? That well, the big know. news as of last weekend or five days ago is that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are president and vice president-elect, respectively. Yeah. Um, that just means that enough states have almost formalized, basically finalized mm -hmm. the votes mm -hmm. in their state to reach for, for the Democratic ticket. Harris, Biden, Harris, mm -hmm. 
to reach a majority of electoral college votes, which is 270 votes. Uh, there are still some states outstanding. They're working mm-hmm. through counting and which ballots are allowed, et cetera. They haven't finished. Some of them are going slower. Mm-hmm. But even without those states that haven't finished, Biden-Harris ticket has enough votes to win the majority of the electoral college, which, as we've talked about before, is uh 270 is the majority, and they've crossed that threshold. I believe they're now sitting at 273 electoral votes. I have 290, but that's because it's PBS NewsHour, and they do AP News, and they include Arizona. So I do remember that from last week. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, good to know. I mean, it's it's 293. That's a little more certain, right? That's that's not just barely. That's you cleared the hurdle, and then some. Mm -hmm. You're good, basically. Yeah. And these numbers, you know, we did a lot of, you know, um, evergreen episodes prior to kind of ensure folks felt confident about what they were seeing uh, and understanding. And, you know, one of those pieces is the Electoral College. So this this again, these are the numbers that we're referencing um, where the decision desks and, you know, the AP News of the world where they have been doing this for many, many, many years. Um go in to do all these projections and solidify by checking with the state officials who conduct these elections. And so this is from them. They are reporting from, you know, the secretary of states from all the elections. I forget what their other names are for at the count, even at the the granular level at the county level, um, uh, ensuring that these numbers are um, counted. And I mean, and we just—I just referenced that because it, there's controversy. <laughs> there's still controversy today on why um, this is not, in fact, the president and vice president-elect. Yeah, and the controversy—the controversy. The controversy, se me los frijoles, sorry. <laughs> the controversy for some people lies in the fact that they are under the belief that some states, some counties, some secretaries of state Mm. are not reporting an accurate count. They've fudged with the numbers. They're not counting all the ballots. They counted too many. They counted not enough. Mm. There's a number of theories out there that people are using to claim that this is controversial. Um, And that's kind of a sticky situation. It's hairy, but Mm -hmm. mostly unfounded. Um, For people saying, oh, the vote should have stopped. We should have stopped counting the vote on election day. Number one, never in a U.S. election have we stopped counting votes on election day. Mm. In all U.S. elections, states have continued counting until the votes are all done counting. Um, so that's like a false idea. That's, that's a wrong, it's incorrect. It's factually untrue. Mm. Um, and a second point that people are bringing up to make it, to make president elect the declaration of president uh, controversial is, oh, there's fake votes out there. These votes aren't real. They're not. Are the rhetoric illegal votes? I was like, oh, you want to play the illegal card here too. Like. One, first of all, this is also a podcast where we do not believe there's such a thing as illegal people and illegal immigrants. Like, that's, no, basura, okay? 
Amen. And as far as, and then using this rhetoric now for votes, legal votes and illegal votes, it's like, can y'all be any more creative? No, you are absolutely using the same hateful rhetoric. So I just want to point that out because it's highly, um, what's that one word? It makes me very upset. <laughs> it's very upsetting. It, it, yeah. Yeah. Um, and they, people who use legal and illegal terminology are doing it to scare people into mm -hmm. thinking that there's some shenanigans going on. Mm -hmm. And to set the record straight, if we want to talk about votes that don't count, that are invalid, there is something like a point zero 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 seven mm. percent instance of electoral fraud. Like out of the last 30 years of voting and elections, 0. 0.000007 of those votes have been proven fraud. Mm. That's a tiny amount. Yeah. Like I had to count the zeros. Yeah. Um, Aldo just says, a tiny amount. Aldo says we don't buy it. No. Thank you, Aldo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where, where is Aldo? Thank you. Um, Give a shout out to Gen Z for Justice. Yeah. Uh, C. Diaz in Chicagoland. We got Young Jew and Steffi 13. Hey, yep. C. Diaz. Is this, is this Austin or Puerto Rico? I don't know. All right. Um, yeah. So if we do want to take legal and illegal votes at face value, there have been 999999 three, three <laughs> illegal votes in the last 30 years sorry legal votes in the mm -hmm. last 30 years mm -hmm. and point zero 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 seven illegal votes and that's like someone voted twice right accidentally someone sent in a ballot for their dead grandma after she died there's like literally only hundreds of illegal votes in the last 30 years, like fake votes, not real, invalid. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned so, that because people, they're like, how, why would this be illegal? Right. And to your point, it's like, um, you're voting more than once, which, um, you know, it's highly <laughs> unlikely. Uh, and then, um, you know, someone who has passed away and then sending in their ballot, um, I think someone who tried it just to test it or something like that. I was like, what are you doing, sir? That's, you, you, that's against <laughs> yeah. the law. You want to go to jail? Like people are foolish. Sorry. I mean, I guess. <laughs> then, um, oh, dead people. Yeah. So, so this language of legal and illegal is factually like has no basis, mm -hmm. but uh, in my view, the language of legal and illegal is more emotionally based. Yeah. It's meant to, to get people to build an emotional reaction, mm -hmm. right? We've talked about, as Amanda pointed out a second ago. It gave ago, me a strong reaction. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, that's the point, is they're trying yeah. to make people feel like there's some illegality going on. There's yeah. some corrupt, criminal, crazy conspiracy going on. Yeah. And, and that's couched in... As Amanda said earlier, we don't believe in illegal people or legal people, but the people who use that language do believe in legal people and illegal people. Mm. So if you think that illegal, an illegal person is a bogeyman and that's frightening to your lifestyle or your way of life or your livelihood, hearing about illegal votes is definitely going to trigger you and send you worrying about all these illegal votes and people 
coming for you and trying to steal things from you. So, so it's a, it's a dog whistle. It's, they're communicating what they want to communicate yeah. to the people who, who take stock yeah. in that language. Yeah. It's meant to be so polarizing it, and provocative. Yeah. Totally. Like head games, yo. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And it's, and I think this gets to the peaceful transition part, the question uh, you know, posed by one of our followers um, about why isn't there a more peaceful transition. As of today, there are 70 days left until January 20th, and January 20th is written in our Constitution when a new president is to take office. Like, that's the date, you know? And so during this period of time, there's actually um, a whole process for a transition. So just imagine, like, you have a whole, which you can because uh, – I think Trump of, of, of anyone is more notorious for just having a, just going through so many cabinet members and so many staff. So you actually in real time got to see, Oh, these are people's jobs. They lose it. You know, it's a new person. They have to adjust well to their job. And I was, I forget who I was listening to, but you know, when, when nine 11 happened for George Bush, um, you know, it, it was also that, um, having difficulty setting up a new transition team when he, cause it was his first year in office. So it was like this difficulty of, or at least that's what they pointed to. They had difficulty in transitioning their team and setting up their national security. Um, and, uh, th that could cause hiccups. So if you were to use that and apply it now, if you don't have a, a sitting president conceding and, you know, allowing this transition to happen, then, the emergency we're experiencing now is COVID-19. Like who's going to carry the, you know, carry the flame now uh, to address it on day one. Yeah. And, and to the point of some people are unclear, like what is the transition? What is this? Uh, what is this about? Um, think about when you were in school and your teacher had to be out for some reason. Oh yeah. Sometimes it happens where your teacher, like, I don't know, your teacher gets sick on her way to school or your teacher's son is suddenly like. Gotta go to the emergency they're, room. They're, they're, yeah. Break Any foot, matter of like quick things, right? Yeah. If your teacher is prepared and has like a game plan in the sack, your teacher can call the principal and be like, hey, get me a sub. Mm -hmm. There's my lesson plan on the table. Yep. Tell the sub to follow that. Yep. If your teacher is not prepared, your teacher's like, hey, I'm in the ER, deal with it, principal. Then your sub comes in. Yeah. And how do the children treat the sub? Yeah. Chaos, right? Like it's all over. The sub's like, I don't know who these kids are. What's our lesson? Yeah. What am I going to do? I don't know. So that's kind of, a, I don't know, that's the best metaphor I can come no, with. No, it's comparable. Right it's comparable. I was a teacher and I had my emergency lesson plans ready to go. They were in, you know, in the drawer. Um, and then, yeah, having to set up a whole route um, procedures for the students. I was like, this is what happens when you have an, uh, a substitute. And if you know, as an educator, you know, you're going to be out ahead of time, like Friday, mm -hmm. you're going on vacation. You set up the plan ahead of time. You tell the students, hey, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have it. This is what we're working on. La, 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 la. And you build a plan. So then the person who steps into the room in your absence knows what to do. So if you like want to sabotage the substitute, mm -hmm. you don't tell, you don't tell them who the problem kids are or what the fire drill procedure is or what we're studying or if you just you yeah. just hey sub step in deal with it figure it out 
which is like the worst thing. If anyone, <laughs> I mean, folks can probably recall from their days um, in school when your teacher was out and you like, I know I can act up, you know, it's like, it's chaos. One, leaving your classroom to a sub, but two, <laughs> no plans. Yeah, that's like the worst thing that can happen. I can, I just remember like walking to the classroom the next day. You're like, that wasn't there. These desks weren't supposed to be there. Oh my gosh. So I, yeah. I, I went to public school as, as a kid and I went to public school as a kid in Texas and I testify hand on my heart. <laughs> honestly, we messed with subs sometimes and we knew the sub like didn't know what was going on. We we're like, let's see what we can get away with. And that's low stakes, right? That's like children messing around with an adult who can handle it. Yeah. True. If a child gets out of hand, you send them the principal, whatever. But a presidential transition mm. has high stakes. It's not just a kid getting away with a bathroom pass. Right. There's other stuff going on that you and I, as people who live in this country, we don't know what's going on. There's all kinds of national security threats. Mm -hmm. And if the incoming presidential staff doesn't know who the problem children are, or what to look out for, or what's on our radar, or what we're doing tomorrow, that could be an issue. Um, a big component of presidential transitions is that the incoming president, like as soon as they're determined president-elect, mm -hmm. their staff starts their security clearances. Mm -hmm. And I know from my time living and working in Washington, D.C., those things take quite a while to deal with. You can, it, you can mm -hmm. be like in line for security clearance for like 30 days at the quickest, 90 days, 180 days. Wow. So that could be six months for you to get a security clearance. So imagine you're like the incoming president's top national security expert, mm -hmm. but you don't have a security clearance. Well, that means you don't know where the national security threats are. You get to wait to be approved to know those secrets. Yeah. So while you're waiting, there's stuff happening that you can't know about. Um, and, and when, when a, the transition like formally begins, the incoming president's people start getting vetted right away for the security clearance. So as soon as the, the, the point is January 20th, the new president and their team has all the tools they need. Mm -hmm. They've been prepping for a few days, a couple weeks, ideally a couple months mm -hmm. to like have the information they need to get going, boom, 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 dealing with whatever threats or military is issues or chemical issues. And as you brought up, Amanda, COVID nineteen is an ongoing threat. Yeah, yeah. That 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 our incoming president needs to be aware about, and his team needs to know all the deeds. Yeah, uh, and I know this is for me again. It's always anxiety inducing, and I think the announcement. I think it was yesterday where uh, Biden and Harris administration announced their transition team. They're like, we're we are not gonna, you know, pause for this, you know, while I believe it's like the general services administration who also has to formally, um, you know, switch over to the new president elect. I think that's what her role is. And she's like, I'm not going to concede yet until we have all the information or whatever other, you know, rhetoric she's also using. Um, cause she's an appointee from the president. Um, so while the, all this is happening, it's like, you know, I think the response of the president-elect and the vice president-elect is, 
you know, go ahead, take your time, but we're going to be ready. We're, we're, we're always going to be ready. We're going to have our team in place. Um, I remember looking at the names for all of the different, um, the areas like transportation, department of interior, et cetera. And there's like some, um, really notable people, at least on behalf of like California, uh, regarding transportation, the, the lead is Philip Washington, who is the CEO of, uh, Metro here in Los Angeles. Uh, and okay. also Therese McMillan, who had the MTC in the Bay. And she also she was Phil's um, chief planning officer here in Metro as well. So very equity focused. I mean, Phil Washington wants to have free transit uh, for everyone who uses it because he understands these are the, you know, they, they're at the lowest income of our communities. They rely on our, our transporta- public transportation system. So having that lens and seeing that just part of the transition team encourages me. Uh, because these are leaders who have an understanding of working class people and who uses our public transportation system and, um, you know, just has that experience. So I went on a little bit tangent, but anyways, it, it, it was encouraging one to see that there are folks um, that have been chosen uh, to be part of to lead kind of this transition team um, that inspires confidence. So that was it. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that's very, that's a very big part of the peaceful transition is like, Hey, we're next in control of the government. We're going to be leading this, we're driving this ship. And the person we've chosen to read the map knows how to read a map, right? right. That's comforting to the people in the passenger seat to be like, all right, that person knows how to read a map. All right. We're good. Cool. Mm-hmm. And the function of a peaceful, a concession of power to concede is for the outgoing administration to be like, hey, listen, this is part of democracy. Whoever the people have voted, we're handing over the keys. We're giving control of the car, of the ship, to the next person mm-hmm. that that democracy has decided right. should be driving. Right. And And that's a huge part of democracy in the abstract philosophical Mm -hmm. like it continues right democracy doesn't depend on one person as a leader it doesn't depend on Mm -hmm. five people or one party or one political ideology um it's based on we have an agreed set of principles values and norms that carry us through no matter what and so anytime that the political parties lose and the presidency goes to the opposite political party, the peaceful transition, the concession of power is mm-hmm. instrumental mm-hmm. in the continuity of government in telling the people who live in this country, yeah. we're not going to ruin your lives. We're not going to fudge up what's going on. Mm-hmm. We are being responsible and we're giving the keys to the next person. Yeah. Uh, to keep with my little metaphor of school teachers and <laughs> being absent, imagine you're uh, a teacher who was going to leave the job altogether. Mm-hmm. If you cared about your students, mm-hmm. you would make a plan. You would prepare it so the next person coming in to teach would know, all right, these kids just learned vowels and next mm-hmm. they're going to learn consonants. And then after that, it's parts of speech or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you, if you don't care about your kids, you're going to be like, I'm out. My last day on the job. Yeah. Peace. It's all dirty. Like, yeah. <laughs> figure it out. Next person. Yeah. Uh, and that would be ultimately the people at the disadvantage are the people you serve, your students. Yeah. And so if we're in a situation where the 
current president doesn't want to hang over the keys or give the plans to the next person. The ultimate people who suffer are the constituents, the people in the country, us, you, me. Okay. I I know we have some comments here. Uh, Hi, Home Fry. Um, This person was, oh, dear Lord, I was a terrible kid with the subs. I mean, I got to admit, that's my friend from, I, (laughs) I, I, this has been my friend since middle school and we were both traviesos together, which is why we were friends. Oh my gosh, (laughs) you guys. Um, I was a goody two shoes. I loved school. So there's that. (laughs) Um, Home Fry says governor just told Chicagoans to stay home for three weeks. Can you elaborate? Why would they, what would the governor say? Is it because it's going to be bad? While they comment back, um. I think they might. Um, I'm from El Paso, as some of our listeners and viewers might know. Um, and El Paso, like leading the national news, I was watching CNN an hour ago, where, yes, you were. Who was a tra- Someone said I was a travesa, or you were a good girl. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's my friend. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, anyway, back to the Chicago governor. Um, I, maybe they're seeing that El Paso, or Illinois governor, my bad. Illinois, yeah, it's Illinois. Um, um, El Paso is leading the country right now in like increases percentage wise of COVID infections, hospitalizations. It's really bad in El Paso. And, and oh. that's because of the actions of people who live in El Paso for the last three weeks, four weeks, et cetera. And I think I just saw a map a couple of hours ago on, on national news that said like every, I think almost every state has seen an, seen an increase mm-hmm. in infections and hospitalizations. Like no state is in the green. There's no state that's decreasing. And when states look at El Paso, they're like, oh, man, that's not good for us. We need to get ahead of this and shut down ahead of time before stuff gets really bad. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you're right. And I think um, I'm glad that you brought that up. And I think now it's all coming back. Yeah, the COVID-19 pandemic is getting worse by the minute here. Um, She's in El Paso. Yeah, this, I know, I think I see our, I think we have like 2,000 cases here in LA County. I get like the emails from our Department of Public Health every day. And I remember those numbers were really tiny, you know, and they're like, it was like 30, you know, 58. And that's when we we did the initial shutdowns in March. So knowing that these numbers are not just quadruple, but like tens and tens higher, and we're not in the same urgency anymore because people are over it. It's, it's it's it, there's a cost there's a cost and folks are going to get more sick uh small businesses are going to have to close down again as you know schools will have to close again and and i think i my husband and i just made this decision that we're likely not going to go home or see family for thanksgiving for sure not thanksgiving because that's in a few oh, weeks and then you know christmas time and new years if it's not going to get better i was like I'm not trying to get people sick. I'm, we're not trying to get sick. Right. Yeah. And, and I think to bring mm-hmm. this back a little to our point about transitions is this is a national crisis. The entire nation is dealing with infection rates increasing. And so if the people in power now, the president has set up the coronavirus task force, they have their plans. So if the incoming people have those plans they can see all right here's what's good here's what's bad here's what we can do better here's what we can continue then they'll have a good idea as to how they can help our country heal but if they don't have a sense of the plan of the current administration's plan the new team is basically coming in like ground zero squared one we we got to come up with something on our own oh my gosh and so that's when it's a problem 
You reminded me, I saw this today too, that uh, Vice President Pence, who leads the cor- coronavirus task force, is on vacation. When I vacation. Que suave. Que suave. Que suave. Oh my God. Que suave. It must be nice. Oh my gosh, y'all. What um, is happening? Let's, um, <laughs> what do you think about moving on to some of the other questions we got yeah. ahead of time? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, since this, this podcast is about political process and political participation, yeah. civic engagement, um, we brought in how coronavirus response and pandemic life is part of change in administrations. Let's talk about something that's less grounded in the pandemic. Um, someone asked about the Electoral College and abolishing it and what we can do for gerrymandering. What, what do you know about this, man? Tell, tell us something that our viewers and our listeners. Well, I was thinking, I was like, the Electoral College, right, was put in place. Okay, and this is where I need you, Nick, because I was like, I don't really know. But the Electoral College, was this put in place at the conception of um, the Constitution, or did it come afterwards similar to, like, the like amendment process? No, it's in the Constitution. Um, so the census, as we discussed, has been around since the beginning of the country. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they decided, let's count people, and based on the amount of people will be a representation in our funding. However, it wasn't let's count all people. It's not let's count everybody. It was let's count white people. Mm -hmm. And then the South was like, whoa, we have a lot of enslaved people. What about them? But enslaved peoples at the time were not citizens. Mm -hmm. And so they came up with what was called a three-fifths compromise. Mm -hmm. Um, That slaves would count for three-fifths of a person. And so when you add that up, if the north part of the country has no enslaved people, but the south part of the country has enslaved people, enslaved people are not counted as one whole person. They're counted as three-fifths. That automatically puts the south at an advantage. And so that gave them more representation because they had enslaved persons, Mm -hmm. whereas the north had none. So it, it gave the numbers as south has more people let's give them more representation and the, the, then then we came up with the electoral college as a way to enable people to have representation but it wasn't based on x amount of people it was like some people counted more than others mm-hmm. and let it's a convoluted messed up way of counting so it is antiquated. It's built in our constitution and it's mm-hmm. old and it now benefits smaller states. So think of a state like Wyoming. Wyoming is the first one Wyoming. I <laughs> Yeah, let's, I've been using that our whole podcast long. Wyoming and Washington, D.C. Each have three electoral votes. D.C. is not a state. But D.C. has way more people than Wyoming does. Mm-hmm. So why did they get the same number of votes? It's kind of messed up, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't, the math, it just doesn't add up. It, it's convoluted. So people who are advocating for the abolition of the Electoral College are people in favor of, let's have the popular vote, like a flat-out popularity contest. If Amanda gets... 10 out of the 15 votes and Nick gets five, Amanda wins. 
elections, right? Like your high school prom or homecoming election. It's just based on how many people vote. That's it. That's not currently how our electoral system is set up. Um, but the founding fathers were afraid of, or were concerned about, oh, can we ask questions now? Yes, send in your questions, A-Rod, yeah. three, two. Um, they were concerned about if the whole country got swept up in the popularity contest and decided Amanda's got pretty hair, let's all vote for her. Her hair means she's great. <laughs> Founding fathers were like, no, that's that's fickle. That's not a good way to vote someone in. Let's come up with a system to check public impulses. And the Electoral College helped with that. Yeah, that's that's what I've been hearing as like the overarching argument. Like, because if it were to po- if it were a popular vote. Uh, they're like, we would have gotten Kanye. I was like, would ha- would we have, you know? No, and he got 50,000 exactly, votes, y'all. Exactly. And I was like, mm, this is this is the process, right? We we do vote for a presidential um, candidate on all of our ballots, right? So that was a shared thing, right? All of us know states run our elections. Each one, based on who is going to represent you at the state level, it's going to look different, than, you know, in Illinois than to Texas, to California, et cetera. But what we all share is the presidential um, uh, elections. So this idea of that popular vote, not, I'm like, we already have that in place. It is possible. So the question of abolishing the electoral college to the point that Nick was making earlier, it's antiquated. It has horrible, um, what's the word, uh, implications regarding slavery still. Um, you know, it's, in my opinion, um, I liked seeing the map, you know, how you saw each state by red or blue or whatever. Um, but if you actually got to see where people lived, so, um, so you removed land cause land doesn't vote, right? People vote. Where are all the, the people? You got a real good sense of like, wow, well we are pretty diverse. And, um, I think they, I think it's called the purple map gives you a more understanding of how, you know, there is like this checks and balances of how people view, their uh, political inclinations or whatnot but it's just this process in the last what is the last three or four elections you know the popular vote um how many presidential uh presidents lost the popular vote and then got office i think it was bush uh trump and um now trump again for the second time yeah you're right oh yeah and yeah that's three so, uh, it's just, yeah. Ooh, I have, yeah. Um, Amanda, you brought up the imagery of proportionality and blue states and red states, et cetera. Politico.com mm-hmm. has a really good diagram. And I, I'm hes- I don't know if I want to like show the screenshot on my phone because I don't know if it'll be captured. But land, as Amanda said, land doesn't vote. People do. All right, let me show you. Let's see. Like, tell me how this works. I'm kind of low budgeting. Here. I right. could see All it. Right. There we go. All right. So this is like it looks really red, mm-hmm. right? But that's because these states occupy more land. And then if I go this way, that is a graphic distributed based on population. You can see it's a lot more equal. Mm-hmm. Now you can find this map on Politico.com. It's their like 2020 elections map, and you can toggle between land and people. Um, so when you toggle it to population you see like well not everybody you know there's not a majority red but if right. you go look at it based on land right. and you're like oh man that's a lot of red right. which is false it's 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 not actually true yeah um so 
to abolish the Electoral College, that would require a constitutional amendment because it is currently in the, in the Constitution. Mm-hmm. The only way to change that is a constitutional amendment. And X amount of states have to approve, like state legislatures. So your your governor, your state reps, your state senate have to propose a, constitu- a national constitutional amendment. And then many other states have to follow suit with that same amendment. Right. So the most recent example is the Equal Rights Amendment, which was a big deal in the 70s. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was not able to get enough votes. I believe that I think it's like more than a majority of states have to approve an amendment in order for the National Congress to make it happen. So since the 70s, the Equal Rights Amendment has been gaining steam. There were a lot of states, but... A lot, somewhere in the 70s, if you have Netflix, watch Mrs. America to get some historical information about this. Not enough states to pass that threshold passed the amendment. Mm. So it never reached the U.S. Congress. And I think just last year, maybe, or the year before, Virginia like was the, the next state over that threshold to pass that amendment. But it wasn't allowed because many years had passed. So you have to get um, a certain number of states within a certain number of years to pass an amendment. And that's increasingly mm. difficult when 20 something states are controlled by democratic legislatures and governors, 20 other states are controlled by Republican legislatures and governors. And then the remaining is mixed. It's very difficult. And this is the design. It's not a flaw. It's a feature of our system. It's like, mm. we want to make this slow to check impulses True. and crazy reactions to this or that we want to make it so that by the time majority of the country's on board we've all decided yeah this makes sense i think for better or worse yikes that's it got it yeah no i think and maybe this kind of addresses uh a rod's question she's like do you think that without the electoral college in place candidates would disregard any state that isn't densely populated i mean why not go where the votes are and i think that's one of the leading arguments for not abolishing the Electoral College because uh, as we saw some of the president-elects where they spent their time, um, you know, Florida, Pennsylvania, I want to say that's where Joe Biden announced um, his candidacy and like maybe, I'm trying to remember. um, I remember. And, you know, going to Michigan and hearing out, you know, going to Texas, Florida, I think I already said that, but um and you know maybe not so much in california because it's a highly democratic state so there's like a lot of pieces in there i don't know if you and, can see and that. yeah that's the thing is that as as is it arod one of our yeah. viewers arod mentioned if we went only by population well where would where would campaigns go they'd go to florida they'd go to texas um california new york illinois and then they might ignore iowa Vermont, Maine, New Hampshire, Connecticut. Mm. And so that's the point about the Electoral College is meant to favor states with less population. And so now we see that campaigns go to Iowa to curry favor because Iowa does not have a huge population, but it's the first state Mm -hmm. that starts its whole primary process. Yeah. And for better or worse, campaigns like need to get support there to take off usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the balance. That's the reason why the Electoral College was made to favor states with less population. Yeah. 
I was like, I don't know All if there's right. a compromise there. Yeah, I was like, for one, I'm not a strategist or, you know, but just basic. I do know that some of um, knowing that the popular vote is getting so and so different from how folks, how the electoral college is um, favoring out or whatnot. Uh, it didn't work out this time because we have an overwhelming majority of people voting for President-elect Joe Biden and the electoral college votes are there as well. So this is an instance where both of them worked in this case, but I think it is a conversation still worth having um, as we become a changing country. Uh, and I think us, you know, Nick and I being millennials, folks that are tuning in, we are part of that discussion because we are now the largest dem uh, age demographic in our country. So great questions to continue to ask. Um, can we, can we answer this question? The third question quickly about, um, counting ballots after election day. So if folks don't remember, or I haven't tuned into any of our previous podcasts, but each state conducts their own election and their rules and each state also determines, Oh, this is the, this is the deadline. Your, your ballot must be received by, um, November 3rd election day, or your ballot must have a postmark by November 3rd. Uh, it all depends on by state. Again, some states already do mail-in ballots, so are already accustomed with the increase in their mail and the need to, to expedite them back to the elections offices. But it's I wanna I wanna point to one example regarding Pennsylvania, which is what pushed President elect Joe Biden over. So they because of COVID-19, they said, if we get your ballot from November 3rd to November 6th, but it's postmarked by election day, and we get it no more than three days later, which is kind of a small amount of days, but I won't, that's what they chose. They're like, this is what we're going to do to compensate for the increase in mail ballots. So from November 3rd to November 6th, these are ballots that, um, the Trump admin, or campaign is saying are the illegal votes and you can't count those, but it's like Pennsylvania made these changes to accommodate for the increase in vote by mail ballots. And by that, by making that change, they have also set aside those ballots in the case that, you know, the courts decide that that's not something mm, you couldn't make that change, which they, the which did go to the Supreme Court. It was a four, four split. Um, so it stands, the Pennsylvania law stands. Um, but that is indicating, uh, one, those ballots up until November 3rd, not the November 3rd to November 6th, um, pile. Um, that's how Joe Biden got the 20, um, electoral votes. He won more than I think 20,000 votes in the state of Pennsylvania. So that 270 number is still, holds he has 290 now so it doesn't even include november 3rd to november 6th ballots which we know also are leaning more democratic so yeah there's a lot there's a lot there but it's yeah and and the fact of the question was like what about counting ballots after election day mm -hmm. there have for all our elections there for most i'll say there has always been the states keep counting the ballots until they're done counting the ballots. Right. Um, that's been just like a fact. Um, before they had computers and stuff, they would count by hand every state. And for states that were large, imagine New York state, which has yeah. millions of people counting their ballots whenever they start. Like it's going to take some time to count 
millions of ballots. So they're not going to stop on election day. That's not a law that doesn't exist anywhere in any book. That just is not the, the, the point is count the ballots that were submitted. So if New York with its however many millions of ballots stopped counting four days after election day, that's how long it took. If they could count miraculously everything on election day, all right, fine. Um, but it's been the case for all the elections is that they count until all the ballots are done. Mm-hmm. They've all been accounted for and that's it. So this idea that oh, we have to stop counting on election day, it's this new idea that's not. Yeah. That's they're, they're, stop trying to make fetch happen. Yeah. <laughs> they're not, that's not ever been a thing. Um, yeah. It's a bunch of mistruths and it's um, using the media, you know, all of these like press conferences, the one at the uh, Four Seasons landscaping. <laughs> uh, that is, they, you know, it's honestly, they're using, sorry, but this is true. The Trump campaign is using the media to, again, instill fear in our election electoral process in our elections and i think that is a very um what's it called divisive and corrupt way of using of or mistreating our the system we have in place for what it is still it's problematic yeah, it's not it's not a perfect uh it's not a perfect system it's not a perfect game or way of counting or electing or voting or anything we're not arguing that it is because we acknowledge there are flaws however when the the rules are as they are and you start claiming that the rules are different that there are other rules Mm. that have actually never existed that's when it gets dangerous yeah you know um imagine playing a game of monopoly Everyone sits at the table. You know this is how Monopoly is played. The rules are there. And then I start, the game's not going the way I want. So then I say, uh, well, here's some money from my wallet. Uh, here's This is how this goes to my bank account in Monopoly. Well, sure, I could say that all I want, but those aren't the rules. That's not how it goes. That doesn't. That's not part of the game, sir. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Take that out of the equation. Yeah. Uh, but if I can convince enough people that these this is the way it's going now and this is the way it should go that's dangerous to the game of monopoly and that's Mm. what's happening now is that people are not happy with the election outcome so they're trying to claim that the rules are different and oh these are the actual rules we should go by this is what we should actually this is how we should actually be playing yeah and i think and it's fine when it's a game of monopoly but when it's an issue of democracy and the world's oldest experiment in democracy of self-determining governance, mm. that's a big deal. That's a bigger deal. That's a larger problem than me making up the rules as I want them in a game of Monopoly. Right. And and um, I know we have, I know it's like 6.50, so we have 10 minutes before 7 o'clock and we start at 6, so thank you all for watching and joining us. We have one last question, unless anyone else wants to go ahead and drop it into the comments too. Um, but the last question was, why is Georgia light blue and not real blue? And I think this is a great question because Georgia actually announced that they will be conducting a recount. Um, so they're doing a recount, an audit, and a re-canvas all at once. So the Secretary of State decided that, you know, these, not, th- so there's millions of ballots that have been cast in the state of Georgia, which have resulted in two runoffs for Senate seats as well. So there's, 
Georgia actually has a lot of exciting and really uh, changing um, the way our federal system is set up. So Georgia could potentially have two Democratic Senate seats, which would ultimately give the Democratic um, majority in the Senate. Democratic majority or would they still be split? Sorry. <laughs> um, it would be split 50-50, I believe is the latest count I checked. I think so. Which, which if, so if the Senate is tied at 50-50, the tiebreaker is the vice president. So with a Democrat, Kamala Harris, as vice president, she would be the fifth, the tiebreaker, and we would expect she would vote with the Democrats. Right. And it would be a, then a Democratic majority, the same way it has been for the last couple of years. Um, whenever there's a split vote in the Senate, the current president of the Senate, Vice, uh, vice President Mike Pence, has voted with Republicans and like mm-hmm. broken the tie and the yeah. vote goes to the Republicans. Yeah. So Georgia right now is going to be doing this recount, which is going to cost millions of dollars and who's millions of dollars, public dollars. There are Mine, tax dollars. Yours. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Folks, you know, and it's, and it's wild to me, like this whole, you know, the, uh, you know, taking yourself by the bootstraps or whatever, uh, you know, just your own responsibility. I was like, all of our public processes, government, are our public dollars. These are the accountability that it has to be built in. You know, hold people's feet to the fire. So, you know, Georgia, for instance, there's going to be a lot of investment there for these elections. Elections are very expensive. Imagine trying to get your name out to hundreds of millions of voters. So that, that's, an, that's another tangent of, like, uh, how expensive this could be why our Senate and House of Representatives are mostly millionaires. You know, that's another question of like who is representative and what is necessary. Who to runs our country. Who yeah. runs our country. Exactly. But voters for this presidential election, everyone in this country is vote is equal to the other person's vote um, because they are still counted. They are still counted with the popular vote. We know four million people voted more so for or I think now more like like five million. It's growing. Um voted for Joe Biden versus the current sitting president. Um, and in different counties and different states, this this is major. So I think, sorry, there's more. I, I, I want to answer our, this question about why is Georgia light blue and not deep blue? Yeah. Um, we've talked about this, I think, in the last podcast, maybe, about states that are, like, basically guaranteed to vote for one party or another. If once if a state consistently votes for the same party, then they are deep in that party's color. Mm. So California, California for the last 20, 30 years has voted for the democratic candidate. Mm -hmm. So, so we can expect that in this election and the next election, California will vote for the Democrat, democratic candidate. So it's not a surprise. They're blue. They're deep blue. That's Mm -hmm. not going to shock anybody. Uh, Idaho is a state that has consistently voted for the Republican candidate in the last number of elections. It's not going to be a surprise. Georgia mm-hmm. is not, cannot be deep either color because things are changing there. Um, the current projection is that Georgia is like 49.52% of those voters in Georgia have voted for Joe Biden blue. But in the last election, 
they voted for the Republican candidate by 50.44. So that's red by 0.44. Mm-hmm. And in the 2012 election, so two more before then, Georgia voted 53% for the Republican candidate. So Georgia has historically been deep red until 2012 when it started mm. chipping away, you know, the voters started chipping away at the Republican votes. Yeah. So that's the reason it's not, if, if the only way Georgia would be dark blue is if it had consistently voted for the Democratic candidate mm. for more than a couple of cycles, for more than a couple presidential elections. That makes sense. We're not there yet. Uh, just last election, Georgia went red for Joe Biden, or sorry, excuse me, for Donald Trump mm-hmm. by 50%. So if this is the first time Georgia votes for the Democratic candidate, light blue. Gotcha. If, and- it, if it votes for a Democrat the next time, the blue will get a little darker. Yeah. If it go, if it votes for a Democrat three presidents from now, then it will probably be more solid red, blue. That's so exciting. That's the I mean, exciting in the sense of a change in electorate. And, you know, shout out to Stacey Abrams, who's been putting in the work for years. I think they credit her and the, the organizations she's co-founded. She's she co-founded two like voter registration um nonprofits and they have registered more than 800,000 voters, mostly people of color and mostly young voters. And so I think I heard her speak on, you know, why for the democratic party, it's, it's necessary to invest in Georgia because we have a young growing electorate in the state of Georgia. And I think this also speaks to Arizona and the young Latino electorate that is growing there as well. It's just, this is, um, being strategic, being smart, and investing on where you have the most bang for your buck. So um, lots of things that we covered today, folks. Uh, we covered we have a new president and new pre- vice president-elect, um, the controversies and issues that the Trump campaign is using um, to not concede power and essentially not helpful in a peaceful transition, the arguments around um, the Electoral College and the need to question, keep it, abolish it. And how does this affect gerrymandering? Um, why we count ballots after Election Day? Because that's what we've been doing for for some time now. So it's not new. It's not new. And uh, this is still part of our process. These ballots, each one has to be counted. Uh, and last but not least, the changing electorate in Georgia from becoming uh, red to technically light blue today. So um, with that, if there's like any more questions, this was super fun talking to you all. Um, thank you all for joining us. Nick, any last words? I want to give a shout out. Yeah. Oh my God, my, I'm, I'm trying to see the Instagram live on my phone and it's freezing up right now. I wanted to give a shout out to new followers and listeners and viewers uh and unfortunately i can't so here's some um, latinas latinas talk dinero nice to see you here gabrielle holy walk it's brie (laughs) adam um rgo the elf nice Uh, thanks for joining us if you're in el paso please stay home Mm. please wear your mask please wash your hands Please don't go to parties. Please don't go to clubs or restaurants. Stay home. Yeah. And this, I think, as we talked about, states all over the country are having experiencing an increase in hospitalizations and infections. No matter where you are, please stay home if you can. Yeah. Please don't go out. Please don't live your life as normal as you have in January last year. Like, 
take care of each other, take care of ourselves, take care of your family and your neighbors. Stay home if you can, please, please, please. Yes, I love that. Take care of you, your family. Take care of your community. Um, I think that's a good thing to end on. Um, and if you can, if you can do a virtual holiday, try it out. <laughs> I would. I think. I think my family and I are gonna be doing that. So, um, thank you so much for joining. Um, L carry on. Thank you. We love you too. Uh, Home fry. Appreciate the love. Thank you, Aldo. And RG, the elf. No, I'm sorry. I messed it up. <laughs> R got he. I don't know. I love it. I Deep love the creativity. 26. We love you too. Thank you. Yes. So stay safe. Sending you lots of love. And yeah, thank you for watching Pinch Millennials Beach Participation Podcast. We hope to catch you next week. Deuces. Bye. This is the song. I gotta figure out how to stop streaming. One second. This face. All right. Love. Bye, Nikki. Peace out.